not live, but from Berlin. This is the Virtually Possible Podcast. Hello, everyone. The Virtually Possible Podcast is back, and I'm stoked to have Will Butler with me today. Will is the VP of Marketing at Be My Eyes. Be My Eyes is a free app that connects blind and low vision people with sighted volunteers and company representatives for visual assistance through a live video call. In this episode, you will learn more about how Be My Eyes came to be, how you can get involved as a volunteer or a brand on the commercial side, and what we can do in our day-to-day to help the community. And on top of it, we will also dive into Will's story and his work with Be My Eyes. Welcome, Will. Thank you so much for having me, Maria. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm very excited. We're here today, me in Berlin, you in LA, right? You're just starting your day. Yep. So it's a bit, uh, I can see it's sunny outside, which is great. Yeah, the sun's coming in the windows. We're hoping that, yeah, things are warming up a little bit. It's great. Yeah, good times, good times. Okay, we're going to start off uh, with a few questions. I think we, we wanted to maybe address like generic um, situation or, or general problem um, and understand you know, how big of a population are we talking about uh, when it comes to people who are having an impaired vision? I think today we're all living in screens, so there's more and more problems like that, but they're more more so gained, I feel like, than, than they're uh, maybe genetic. So if you could maybe start off with telling us what we're dealing with in terms of the scope. Yeah, absolutely. Well, <clears throat> genetic blindness has never really been the most prevalent form of blindness. It's usually an acquired type of visual impairment. So that's nothing new. Um, in terms of the, the size of the group, the numbers are a bit controversial. Some numbers say that there are, are about 250 to 300 million severely visually impaired people in the world. So that means people with really significant visual impairments. Um, but then recently, the World Health Organization has released some very big numbers um, around that include preventable blindness and um, visual impairments that could have been fixed through a cataract surgery or just by having the proper prescription of glasses. Those numbers bring in billions of people. And so according to the WHO, you've got about 2.2 billion people living with some type of visual impairment today. And that just means 2.2 billion people who are struggling to see in some way, shape or form. Um, and, and those causes are largely around preventable issues, things like diabetes, treatable things like macular degeneration. And then there's hundreds of other ways that people become blind in the course of their life that don't necessarily have to do with genetics. And that's why I kind of laugh sometimes when people say like, we're going to cure blindness or we're going to fight blindness because it's like, you can't cure, you know, an injury. You can't cure, uh, you know, something that there's, there's all sorts of ways people become visually impaired. That's never going to go away. It's always going to be a part of human life. I mean, it's quite shocking to hear actually that there's so many people in the world, right? Like that have those issues, but also at the same time, we probably each and uh, every one of us knows somebody who's been wearing glasses or having some issues or actually having some, yeah, having impaired vision, but not doing anything about it because they're too lazy. Exactly, and, and or they're ashamed to talk about it. That's a huge issue. Oh, really? Is it? Wow. Absolutely. I think most of the blind people you don't, you probably know more blind people than you realize, but they're not talking about the fact that they can't see very well. That's terrible. I've, I mean, I've, been, 
I've been kind of blessed with like having, um, I, f- I feel at least that I've been blessed with having a really good vision and I've never had those issues, but I sometimes, you know, like if I work for a few good hours and, and it's really getting late and my, I feel like my vision gets a little bit like milky, it worries me. And I'm always like, oh, I think I should shut down the laptop and just go to bed and let them rest. Yeah, but, I, but I think a lot about how like our eyes are really one of them, obviously, they're um, the only external part of the brain and also the organ that has to be constantly on whenever we are active. And if we are sleep deprived and we are not taking care of our sleep schedule, this is the organ that suffers the most because it has to be always on and it n- never gets to rest. Because even like if we compare that to our, I know, digestive system, where if you don't eat throughout the day, you let it rest it can, it can still um, kind of rejuvenate, but eyes almost never, unless you close them and I, unless you uh, fall asleep. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, look at me being a doctor. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's um, true. I've never thought about it like that, but it's, it's absolutely true. I experienced that every morning when I wake up, I'm like, oh, I should have had more sleep last night. <laughs> yeah. I've been very adamant about not using an alarm in the past six months. And it's actually been a blessing to me. And I, I've just accepted that if I wake up late, it's because, well, obviously I normally just go to bed late and this is, this is the price I have to pay, but it also teaches me that the next night you have to go to bed early and then you'll be up on time. Uh, wow. That's impressive. Whew, yeah. I don't know if I'm ready for that. <laughs> yeah. You're actually your body adjusts after a few months, uh, which is very interesting that I now wake up on the dot. Every time, like, you know, every night, if I go to bed at around 11, I will wake up at eight every night wow. or, or, or a bit earlier, but like in this window between seven and eight, always every day. Wow. Highly recommend trying. It takes a minute to adjust, but the, the body will tell you the body knows the best. I think. Wow. Let's maybe not talk about me. So going back to why we're here, we want to talk about Be My Eyes. As you mentioned, we now think that the population of people with some visual impairment is huge in the world. And how did Be My Eyes come about? And what is it trying to solve in terms of the the problem for people with some visual impairment? Yeah, so our founder, Hans, in Denmark, uh, was losing vision, and he, this was right around the time that FaceTime and Skype uh, video chat became available over the cellular network, and so he started making video calls when he was home by himself and pointing his camera at things that he wanted help seeing. And he would call friends and family and they would be his eyes, and he thought, this is cool, I can, I can do this whenever I want, but then he realized for this, if I keep doing this, my friends and family are going to stop picking up the phone because they're going to know that I'm just calling them for help every time. And I want to preserve those relationships. So he thought, you know, there's all these people out in the world who try to help me when I'm in public and maybe they would want to answer these calls. And so we created a randomized video calling app that allows you to call a wide pool of volunteers. And the first one to pick up gets to answer your call. And we weren't sure if it was going to work. You know, it was just a crazy idea. And, uh, but we launched in January of 2015. And overnight, we had 10,000 users mm. with, no, with no marketing or press or anything. So we thought, okay, we're on to something here. And, um, you know, in like six weeks, we were in 30, con- you know, 30 languages. And today, we have almost 5 million users 
And most of those are volunteers helping the visually impaired users of the app. And you can get help with anything from reading a label to help in the kitchen to troubleshooting technology. And it's not just volunteers anymore. It's also brands are helping people uh, with their products. That's so amazing, right? Like that, I think that always brings back the hope that people have so much good inside them that they will find the time and um, an energy to help other people and and be supportive to especially those in need which is which is really great right now you said you have five million users how is this um, maybe divided between the people that need the help and then the volunteers so we have about three hundred thousand visually impaired users which is which compared it's not a lot to, compared to the population, right? Compared to the population, it's not a lot. But you know, you, you have to understand it's a it's a very isolated population, uh, very low employment. You know, globally the employment rates are probably somewhere between 10, 15 percent. Talking about huge unemployment numbers, not a lot of financial um, independence globally. So these aren't people necessarily who are even plugged into the internet. Believe it or not, we have the biggest blind community in the world. Um, no, I mean, I, I imagine you do, uh, because yeah. anyway, you're doing so much to popularize this um, this app and and everything you do around it, and um, you being you know a spokesman for for this. Uh, for the app itself, but also for the whole community of, of people, I think that makes a, a huge difference. And maybe we should mention that the, the way we met, we met on Clubhouse also very randomly, but yeah. it was very interesting to hear about what you're doing and how many things in how many initiatives you're involved and how much it helps. Also, my goal with our episode is so that people hear about it and share it. And then hopefully more people will sign up and also will yeah. maybe popularize that with some of the, those friends who, who maybe have some um, issues with their, with their vision and, yeah. and we can, yeah, we can broaden that, that group of people who are. Involved. Yeah. And with the ratio of volunteers, so there's about a 20 to one ratio of volunteers to use to users. And we kind of, think that's the perfect ratio because every time a user makes a call, we ping about 20 people because the goal is we don't know who's available. So we want to make sure that the user gets help as quickly as possible. And so those 20 people are sort of racing each other to see who can be the first to answer the call. And that's mm -hmm. what gets our connection times down to, you know, 10 seconds in some cases. Mm -hmm. um, and so we actually, we actually like that ratio of like about 20 to one. And as we grow, you know, it, it, it's been growing at a very steady rate of about 20 to one volunteers to, to blind users. And that's kind of where we'll probably keep it. Yeah, because you have to have a big enough uh, group of people that, that can answer so that the, the wait, waiting time is not as long, uh, right? Because obviously you're not calling somebody to just have a random chat while you're sitting on your couch. You're calling them when you actually need help. So you need to have people be responsive. But do you yeah, see, do you it's, see free, that? it's free and unlimited too. So uh, blind users have to be able to call multiple times without bothering the same person. Um, and so that, that, that big community allows us to do that too. Mm, yeah, that's very cool. And so from where you started to right now, what, how has the waiting time changed? 
that's actually the place we've probably improved the most. Early on, you know, we were just new to this. We didn't expect to have so many users all at once. We were just scrambling to get it translated into enough languages, you know, just even the UI. So we, we did have longer connection times when we started, but we've optimized everything. We have a great developer team. Um, we're using, Twi we switched over to Twilio, which is an amazing, you know, kind of mm -hmm. uh, platform to base it off of for the video calling. And our call times are, now globally across every language are less than 30 seconds, which is pretty wow. incredible. And uh, in English, it's single digits, it's probably less than 10 seconds, mm -hmm. uh, average connection time now in English. Yeah. I think it takes longer for my mom to pick up my call. Call a couple times, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Wow, and so um, how many um, language versions uh, are there or like in how many languages is the app available today? I think it's localized in like 30 to 50 languages, but then we have um, volunteers helping people in about 185 languages. That's amazing. That's yeah. so basically almost every language is covered. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's wild. That's great. So There's some obscure languages that we don't have on there yet, but we'll, we'll get them all someday. We're going to talk a little bit about how you need to design apps like that because we're we we should talk a lot about I think uh, accessibility. Although I know that sometimes you are a bit fed up with this topic of accessibility and how um, and the UX never. never. <laughs> Maybe if you could talk about how app developers or tool developers should think about accessibility coming from someone who's been working on that end because you know for people who don't have that issue. They, I don't think they ever think about that. I, I remember when you mentioned that about Clubhouse, that uh, their uh, their bu their buttons were only called buttons, which meant that you couldn't you wouldn't know what is a microphone, what's not a microphone, yeah. and how to even navigate through that app. Have they done anything about it, by the way? Or they have, they have. I have to give cre Clubhouse credit. They have listened to the blind community and they've made very quick work of improving accessibility on the platform. It's still not perfect, but it's hard to get accessibility perfect. And I hope that it wasn't a one-time thing and that they'll continue to improve. So if you develop apps or websites and you've never heard the word accessibility, stop everything you're doing <laughs> because you're doing it wrong. Type it into your favorite search engine. It's 13 letters. It will correct you if you spell it wrong. Just put any A's and C's and S's as, as many and, as you can. And, and if you, exactly, there's a lot of C's and S's, but if you can't, if you can't even remember the word, search for 13 letters, because we have a podcast called 13 Letters where we talk about accessibility and accessibility means making sure that everyone can use your app. That's all it means. The 2.2 billion people who struggle to see the billions of people who are aging, the, the many other millions with hearing, you know, who are hard of hearing or deaf, those with cognitive impairments, intellectual disabilities, people in developing countries who don't have access to as a robust internet connection. This is who accessibility is for. And when you group all those together, you basically have the whole world. I mean, accessibility meets the needs all meets the needs of somebody everywhere yeah. so basically thinking through like all those what if scenarios when you're developing an app what if this doesn't work for somebody what if someone cannot do this what if the... yeah and and i think the thing people don't realize is that 
there are big global organizations like the W3C who have done all the work to take the guesswork out of it. Accessibility is not a subjective thing. You don't have to know what it's like to be paralyzed in order to know how to design an app for someone who's paralyzed. There are clear standards. The web content accessibility guidelines is a good place to start. And if you just follow the guidelines, your app will work for people with disabilities. Apple and Google, they've done the hard work to design the screen readers and the text-to-speech software and all this stuff that it runs on top of. You just have to make sure you follow the guidelines. And I think a lot of people don't realize it's as simple as that. And a lot of developers will complain, especially when they build a whole product and then they realize it's not accessible because they have to go back and it's like going back and fixing the electrical once you've finished building, building the, the house. house. Mm. and it's much easier to just do it right the first time or do it right when you first design something than to think about it later on okay so guidance number one is um make sure you do it um just when whenever you think about building out an app first thing you do is think about what you're trying to build and then how to make it accessible before you even start developing and uh, as you mentioned, there's W3C um, as, an, as a place where people can start off uh, looking for, for some guidelines. And then what was the other one? Uh, yeah, they, they produce the Web Content Accessibility mm -hmm. Guidelines, WCAG. Oh, okay. Oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah, uh, we the, will... the organization is called W3C. Yeah. Ah, okay. We will link yeah. to this uh, in the notes yeah. Yeah. for our mobile um, developer community so they can look it up because even for games right like where people develop games oh my god that is a huge part of how people there is some amazing amazing work going on in games right now i think um, you mentioned it once uh when we were talking about something on clubhouse that there's this um that you're also working on building a game for visually impaired right uh i don't we're not uh i don't have any any announcements on that <laughs> but 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 I think maybe what I was talking about was we have uh, just there's there's a lot of really incredible accessibility efforts happening in the gaming world and like uh, the Last of Us, which is a huge game for this past year, won an award for accessibility. It's got all these incredible accessibility features, like where you can use the audio in the game to navigate if you're blind or low vision. And there's um, I, I'm probably going to butcher this because I don't play these games, so I might be miss characterizing it but there's high contrast modes in games mm. xbox and, and playstation and these other platforms are developing screen readers so that folks can have the menus read to them um there's there's even like blind people who have who have channels where they play things like mortal Kombat, like completely blind mm. and 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 so i think like there's a huge misconception that people with disabilities don't want to participate in everything literally everything you know, yeah. they, I mean, of they, course they do. Why wouldn't they? Like it makes, well, yeah, it makes but it... you talk to a game developer who's sitting there developing their game and someone goes, well, what about blind people? And they go, are you joking? You know, and you have to say, no, we're not joking. What about blind people? How are blind people going to play your game? And then the developer goes, oh boy. And maybe they have one sleepless night and then they realize they've got this thing called Google and there's hundreds of thousands of blind people out there and thousands of people who are willing to help you figure out how to do it. And there's people who have already forged that path. 
you don't have to you don't have to completely invent these things anew. At least you need to be aware. That's the first step, and then you'll find your you'll find your tribe that will help you out because yeah. we know that everybody wants to be able to use all of those tools and um, have all of the entertainment that everybody else will have. So uh, for sure, that is a that's a that's the way to go. And so going back to the app right now, because you also mentioned that there's um, there's brands that are helping you out. How is the app growing these days and what are you guys doing in terms of the promoting the initiative and how can we regular people who are not uh, maybe a part of it other than being a volunteer, what, what can we do to help? Yeah, so being a volunteer is huge. That's the first part. And then if you, if you sign up to be a volunteer, you can go and read the content in our app and, and see about all the amazing things that are happening in the community portal of the app. And um, one of the things you'll see is all these brands who are our sponsors and our support providers, and they really are joining the platform as video supporters, not just as you know, fiscal sponsors, but like mm -hmm. they are answering video support calls to help with their products and they're gaining valuable feedback about how their products are or aren't working for visually impaired people. So. We've got Microsoft, Google, a whole bunch of brands from Procter & Gamble, uh, Verizon. These are, these are the types of companies that are supporting, but we also have small, small companies and medium-sized companies who are also providing video support. Pharmacies, we're working with the government of the, the UK to help with home COVID testing. These are all the call centers that we've routed Be My Eyes to uh, so that they can answer video calls from our users. And if it were a gaming company, you could sign up to help on users with your game, um, whether it's help getting them set up or get feedback about what could be improved or you know, whatever it is that they can show you over live video connection, uh, you can do through Be My Eyes. Yeah, this is fascinating, right? For anyone who is playing a game on a console specifically, um, that's that's super easy. Anything on an on on their on their laptop or or anything like that, that's that's great. Yeah, we yeah. we should definitely connect you with more of the gaming studios who are growing so fast, and entertainment has become a huge thing. Uh, home entertainment last year, so they will definitely have a lot more of those calls to answer. So yeah, I'll yeah. think about I'll think about who I can introduce you to, so you can have even more work. <laughs> well, it's, it's it's really proud. These companies are really proud of their partnership because not only are are we giving them really great tools to improve their accessibility, but they're able to say we're supporting this free unlimited service around the world for blind people. Mm. You know, site for anyone at any time. It's just like pretty pretty cool thing to be a part of. Yeah, hundred percent. And how did you actually find? Uh, Hans and and the project and how did you get involved? Because you said that you're right that you've been with them since 2015. I I've known them since 2015, but I've only been working here full time for two years, mm -hmm. so 2019. But yeah, no, I didn't find them. They found me sort of. I was working at a nonprofit organization for the blind in San Francisco, the Lighthouse for the Blind in San Francisco, and. Um, yeah, middle of 2015, these Danish guys showed up on our doorstep and said, um, we, we made this app and it's kind of become a big thing very quickly. We don't really know any other blind people in, in, in the States here. Can you help us reach the community uh, or, or can, you know, connect better, understand better the community? Um, our founder's blind, but 
you know, it's different in Denmark than it is in the United States. Mm. So, um, so I kind of was an advisor and the, the lighthouse actually invested in Be My Eyes and we were very involved for the first four years of their lifespan. And then about three years in, uh, Be My Eyes took a whole new path of figuring out how to monetize and fund the free service. Um, and uh, it was around that time that I left the lighthouse and then I was kind of trying to figure out what to do next. And our CEO said, come work, come work with us. And I said, sure, why not? Yeah. Perfect so, match. Yeah. 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 It's been a really great journey and they're all wonderful people. It's a small team. It's still only less than 20 people. And, um, yeah. you know, we have only four developers running, uh, four or five different apps on different platforms. So yeah, it's huge, right? Like it's a, an, an amazing effort that everybody's putting together. Um, so like you said, the the idea is that the app is always going to be free for the for volunteers and the users. And then the way it's being supported is through brand support. Yeah, 100%. It's a, it's a great model because it's the companies really do benefit their, their accessibility and inclusion programs really do benefit from the partnership. And they're happy to pay the, you know, license to license the software and to, I mean, frankly, gain some of the brand love that Be My Eyes has and, um, and know that they're supporting this free service. So, yeah. When you think about the journey of the last two years and what you've done and who you've met and everything you've learned, what, what has been the most eye-opening when it comes to your, your experience with Be My Eyes? I think that here in the United States, there are some organized blind communities that are pretty progressive and that have done incredible work to sort of elevate the cause of civil rights for blind people. And they've built an incredible foundation. But I think the thing I've been really surprised by is how deep of a pool there is of the blind community that is not being served and that is not connecting and being supported by their peers. And the more I go into this, the more people I meet, the more hundreds and thousands of, of blind and visually impaired people who I have on my community calls, who we have signing up for the app. I mean, we have hundreds of blind people signing up for this app every day. And I'm just like, where are all these people coming from? Mm. You know, these are people who are not connected into these big official organizations or receiving services already. They're people who are on their own. They don't know how to live life as a visually impaired person because they don't know anyone else who's visually impaired. And so it just, I'm constantly surprised by how much work we really have to do on, on building a stronger, healthier community. I feel like it's very lonely. Extremely lonely. Yeah, when you're starting to have those issues or you haven't been able to speak to anybody about this. So it must be, not only does the, the app itself, it is a super helpful tool, but it also is just that door to the whole community, right? Like I, I bet that the kind of overflow effect of, you know, being able to connect with other people and build relationships with the community is, is another big aspect of, of why people are looking for uh, to connect yeah. with you guys. Absolutely. Yeah. You did mention the kind of status quo of the American blind community. What do you think the situation is like internationally? 
like when you compare the American blind communities are working together or getting or trying to work together versus what's happening here in Europe or, or in other parts of the world, what are your thoughts on that? Well, the, the, the system here in the U.S., I think, has provided a model for a lot of other countries that a lot of the other countries are following, you know, about self-advocacy and legal advocacy and that sort of thing. But I don't know very many countries who are doing it extremely well. Canada has some great accessibility initiatives. Of course, you know, some of the countries in Europe with more social safety nets are providing better, more robust services. But there's so many places in the world where it's still really a huge, huge, huge disadvantage to be blind. And um, we have a long way to go before that changes. Yeah, I mean, I bet, right? Because I mean, there's know, still I countries where there's still countries where blind children are chained to their bed no. because they're not trusted to go anywhere. It's it's insane. This is so. Yeah. So there's a wide range. Mm, yeah, <laughs> there's a wide range. You know, there's yeah. there's there's places where blind people are CEOs. You know, the president of the Senate of Barbados is blind, and then there's places where blind children don't even get an education. By default. That's crazy. What what can people do? People like me, ordinary people, to help change that? Well, signing up for BMIs is a great start. <laughs> Being a volunteer, volunteer. and answering a, answering a call now and then. But if you look at our community portal on the app, um, which is just growing and growing, you're going to see more and more um, content about how you can get involved. Just reading about the issues and understanding them, reading about accessibility. You know, we work really hard to push all that content into the app so that it's sort of your one-stop shop for figuring out how can I support the vision loss or visually impaired com community globally. Um, so we, we try to bring it all together into one place. Um, and uh, other than that, you know, your search engine is your best friend. <laughs> Start searching around, figure out uh, where accessibility fits into the work you do. Because I guarantee it does fit in somewhere, whether it's an HR perspective or a development or design perspective. Um, it's it's uh, or you know customer service. It's, it fits in everywhere. It's almost everywhere. And then one other way uh, people can learn more about the initiatives is your new podcast that I also wanted to ask about. You guys just launched, so maybe you can share a bit about um, what the plans are. For that. Yeah, I'm sort, of, I'm sort of addicted to starting podcasts. <laughs> it's a problem because now I have three. We launched this new podcast last week called Say My Meme. It's, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's basically we visually describe memes for, for people who can't see them. That's and, awesome. uh, and, and it sounds like it's a service for the blind, but it's actually for all of humanity because Google is blind too. That's Google, true. Can't, Google can't see memes. So when you're looking for that, that one spicy meme that you that someone showed you a couple of weeks before on Google, you oftentimes can't find it because memes are not accessible. The metadata, the alt text, the the visual description is not there in the image, and so all this creation of memes is basically you're creating dark matter on the internet that that search engines can't see. Anytime you take a picture of text, that's something that search engines can't 
see. So what we're doing is we're, you know, very, very, very slowly chipping away at describing uh, the world's memes. And we're inviting everyone else to describe their favorite memes, like on a voice memo and send it to us. And you can go to saymymeme.com and read, read how to do that. It's pretty simple. We'll, we'll link to that as well. And I, I bet that everyone can say that they're guilty of spending hours and hours of searching for the right meme for, you know, any given situation. And it's been, it's always hell because you think it means something. And so for the most popular, it's not too bad. So you can find them, but so many times like the obscure ones, you, you just want to add it at the end of the email or like at the end of your message. And then 45 minutes later, you're like, oh, I still couldn't find it. And then you have to. Oh. Exactly. Exactly. And and if you if you describe and you transcribe, you know, if you transcribe your podcasts and you describe the images that you're putting up places, it's not just for blind people, it's helping everyone locate those things more accessibly. Mm, yeah. It's more information out there. Uh, that's helpful, that's for sure. And the other podcasts, because you also have the accessibility podcast, right? Right. That, that one's called 13 Letters, and it's co-hosted with an accessibility engineer from Salesforce. And then um, we have the Be My Eyes podcast, which is just interviews with people who are blind or have low vision, who are, who are passionate about what they do and interesting people, just kind of uh, the blind podcast. Yeah. So all of that is super helpful and super valuable for anyone who wants to just learn about what it's like and what they can do to help when they're building something or if they want to get involved with the community so we're gonna yeah. we're gonna link to all of that podcast for podcast <laughs> there are more it's like there's never enough podcasts i'm glad that at least we got a minute to to speak about that before i let you go i wanted to do my favorite part which is the vp roulette 10 random questions so you would have to i would ask you to choose three numbers from one to ten and then we'll ask you a few All right. random questions. Uh, four. Question four. What are the top three things that you do for you? Oh, no. That's the hardest question. There are harder questions in this one. I can bet you. <laughs> uh, okay. Number one is... <laughs> uh... Whenever I, ne whenever I don't get the immediate answer on this question, I always feel like it's a note to self that you should start taking care of yourself more because you should, you should know, you know, what, what is it that you're doing for yourself? I really should. It's terrible that I don't, I'm sure there are things. Um, I, <laughs> I, I think that I really value my relationships and I love my work, but I will put down work to be with friends and I will push back a deadline mm -hmm. to, to have dinner with a friend. That's to super me, important, I think. To me, relationships come above everything else. And so sometimes I feel like it's a guilty pleasure that I like don't finish that thing I wanted to finish, but it's it really is for my soul. The other things that I do for myself, you know, you always have to have some chocolate in the house. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, I think always allowing yourself to have side projects. That's a little bit of a cop-out because it just means more work, but we all have dreams that are not exactly what we're doing right at the moment. And I think we have the tendency to tell ourselves that those dreams aren't legitimate, but you have to indulge your childhood dreams no matter how old you are. Yeah, that's fair enough. And, and I guess it, when you think about life in those terms is if you could do anything, you would probably do those passion projects and those side projects 
So at least a little bit of that, a little bit of time devoted to that helps you keep that inner child alive and excited. Hopefully yeah. your work is also about that, but if it's not exactly at that point in time, at least a side project can be. It, yeah, it's all about balance, right? Like the, the side projects are fun because you're doing something out because they're on the side, right? <laughs> like, mm. and then, and works, you know, if you switch, I, I, switching back and forth between things is healthy, I think. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, uh, do I have to pick another one? Yes. Number two. Number two. What would you do if money was not the issue? If you could do anything in the world, what would be your thing? I would probably finally learn how to meditate <laughs> because I just don't feel like I have time right now. <laughs> you know, I always have issues with like regular meditation because I always think, oh, you know, you need to sit down for 20 minutes or half an hour or something. And then whenever I think about it, I try to meditate for one minute. And I think if you just start at one minute, you can find a minute in the day. Yeah. And I think you that's know, I, would probably, I would probably also get into hospitality of some type, like a bar or a restaurant or something mm. like that. I think those, those types of businesses are so cool and people love them so much. They're such great centers for activity, but they're so low margin and they make so little money. Yeah. Um, so I, I think maybe doing something like that would be fun. Yeah. It's everyone's dream, right? To own the yeah. bar at some point. Yeah, yeah exactly. Now more than ever yeah of course of course well hopefully hopefully this year we're going back to life and helping those small businesses get back yeah. to some kind of revenue Let's okay see. number seven number seven best advice you've ever gotten inject positivity into everything you do i've recently heard whatever you do create content <laughs> <laughs> that's a different one and how do you live by that rule of injecting positivity I mean, if you just remember that, if you just always remember that you, and, and do it, your, your interaction, your, your whole life will be better. Negativity doesn't serve us that well. Or we've evolved beyond the days of the caveman where we're running from saber-toothed tigers. It, it, it's not that great to be scared and afraid anymore. My friend will always say, you know, it takes extra effort to be an asshole. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's draining, it's very exhausting. Yeah, yeah, it is true. It is true. Well, I don't want to keep you for too long. Um, what about and... my question for you? Oh, yeah, sorry. You're right. <laughs> That's true. So you're into exercise, right? I am a lot into exercise, yeah. So what can we learn from exercise that we can apply in our, in our work lives or our social lives or in the rest of our life when we're not exercising? I think I, I thought about this a lot, actually. Why do I, why am I able to exercise and exert effort for a long period of time, even though this is not the most, always not the most pleasurable thing that you would do. And I think it's because I'm able to break it down to very small pieces. And the same thing I like to apply to difficult problems at work or in life just break it down to the smallest snackable or like edible piece that you have to do. And same for exercise. The way I like to do this is one rep and then another rep, one breath and another breath. And so, you know, I'm trying not to think about the run being 10 K, but I'm just thinking, okay, one step, one breath, inhale, exhale, and just go with that, with the micro steps. And then it just builds up to, to something, to something bigger. So I think, the reason there's two things that you know about being active is that once you're done, 
it makes you feel amazing. And once you've experienced that, you need to hold on to, I think, that feeling at the end. And then remember that every time you're starting to work out and it's going to be sweaty and it's going to be um, difficult at the end of it you'll feel better than you felt at the very beginning like I would say guaranteed almost you know 99.9 percent .9 of the time unless there's a terrible blizzard outside and you just went out for a run but normally it would always be great and the other thing is that when you're really learning to stay with it it just makes you stronger it's a compounding effect of uh, just practice and yeah and that and in those small moments you don't really it doesn't really feel as difficult really because it's so tiny that it passes and then you get yeah. another chance to improve and another chance to improve so that yeah. that that may take the cake for best advice i've ever gotten thank you <laughs> well yeah i think yeah the small it's just a breath you know like just inhale and then exhale and then you know at some at some point you realize it's been half an hour it's been an hour or something yep well i'm motivated i'm gonna go exercise Good. Well, I'm going to let you go. Thanks so much, Will, for being on the podcast. And I'll, Absolutely. See, you, I'll see you back on the app and then yeah. on Clubhouse for a while. Yeah. yeah. Right. Great Thanks to see you. Talk soon. Thank you. you. Take care. Bye, Will. Bye.